Welcome to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren, and today it's just going to be me. I'm not going to have any other conversation partners or guests today. It's just me. And I think this is the first solo episode that we have done on the podcast, in part because I'm not really a big fan of solo podcast personally, myself, so we've tried to always have at least more than one voice and, and to make these conversational in nature, but, but based on schedules and everything else that was kind of going on this week, this is what needed to, to happen for this episode. But, you know, in, in sort of an interesting turn, we kind of flipped the formats this week because in our sermon yesterday, Rachel and I had basically what was kind of a structured podcast conversation as as our sermon for yesterday. And and then today's podcast episode will will feel and sound perhaps a little more like a typical sermon in terms of format and style. So we just kind of we flipped things around for this week. And so this episode today is actually going to be a bridge of sorts between this past Sunday's sermon and, and next week's sermon. So it, it'll probably make the most sense or, or be the most fitting if you're listening to this the week that it, that it is released. Because last Sunday, in, in the conversation between Rachel and me, we, we focused on the stories surrounding Jacob's sons and, and the competition that takes place between his wives in that account. And then next Sunday, which will be Mother's Day, we're skipping ahead to, to where Jacob and his family have already left Laban and they are on their way to what sort of amounts to this climactic reunion with, with Esau. That's where they're headed next Sunday. And so today I want to walk us through what happens in between those, those sermons and kind of fill in the gaps on the story. And in, in part, I want to do that, like I said, just to kind of fill in the narrative, because I think there's some interesting gaps there. But also with kind of where we're going to head in this conversation today, I think at the end, we get, we get some insights into parts of Jacob's character that we haven't really had access to yet in the telling of his story. Again, Jacob is, is named for his deceptiveness. We see aspects of that throughout his life. And I think even in his time with Laban, as we're going to kind of see even more today, he, he really just kind of comes across as, as passive in, in many ways. But at the end of, of, of today's text and, and the stories that we're going to look at today, I think we get some, a, a good look into some of the deeper character traits of Jacob and to perhaps even some of the more redeeming aspects of, of his personality and character. And so that's kind of where we're headed in addition to, to just sort of filling in some of the narrative gaps be, between where we're going to be in the, in the sermons on either side of this podcast. So with that said, we're going to pick up in Genesis 30 and begin in verse 25. And there in verse 25, we're told that after Rachel gave birth to, J- to Joseph, Jacob goes and tells Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. 
And so already, I think there are several interesting things, even about the way that Jacob approaches this conversation with Laban. For, for whatever reason, he feels as if he still has to ask permission to leave. Now, maybe as, as part of their agreement, you know, Jacob still has some work to do for Laban. Maybe he just feels as if he owes it to Laban to ask for permission to take his, his daughters and, and grandchildren and, and, you know, parts of his possessions or whatever with him to go back home. But, but for whatever reason, Jacob feels as if he has to, to ask Laban for, for the ability to do this. And so Laban then in turn, Laban tries to convince him to stay, once again saying to Jacob, name your wages and I will pay them. Again, this isn't the first time that we've heard Laban say this to Jacob. He says it again now. And, and when this has happened before, Laban has responded deceptively. And we're going to see the same thing here. Because this gives Jacob an idea, or, or Jacob at least presents this idea to Laban in response to this request, where, where Jacob says, okay, I'll tell you what, don't give me anything. But just do this one thing for me. He says, I'll go on tending your flocks and watching over them. But let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark colored lamb and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages and my honesty will testify for me in the future whenever you check on the wages you have paid me. Any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark colored will be considered stolen. And so so Jacob presents this as an option in part because, you know, Laban's not going to have to pay anything in monetary, you know, possessions or or value. Well, it'll have monetary value, but but not, you know, in, in money. But it will also serve as a way to, to prove Jacob's honesty, which again, we're, we're going to see this again. As I said, we're going to get some access to Jacob's character, especially at the end of this account. But here already we see it, this appeal to Jacob's honesty, which is not something we have typically seen accentuated in his story. Uh, we've seen it a little more in his interactions with Laban, where Laban is certainly seen as the more deceptive one, and Jacob is the one who puts in the work that he says he's going to do and all of that. And, and this, is another, uh, this is another appeal to that aspect of, of Jacob's character. And so in, in response, Laban, though, acts in ways that are completely consistent with his behavior and, and his character throughout the story. Because Laban agrees... But before Jacob has a chance to go through the flocks, Laban goes through them himself and removes all the streaked or spotted goats and dark-colored lambs and gives them to his sons. And so in doing so, he's basically cheating Jacob out of what would be his wages, which is, once again, a recurring theme that keeps happening. And so one side note here. Uh, I think I mentioned last week in the sermon that Laban didn't have any sons, but only two daughters, which was obviously not accurate. That was a slip up on my part. Uh, so he did have sons. But in this story, once again, we, we are reminded of Laban's deception. But Jacob, 
Jacob, who is cunning and manipulative once again in his own right, he has a plan. And the plan that he has involves this crazy story that I'm just going to read again as it appears in the text. This is picking up in verse 37. Jacob, however, took fresh-cut branches and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they mated in front of the branches, and they bore young that were streaked or spotted or speckled. Jacob set apart, the, set apart the young of the flock by themselves, but made the rest face the streaked and dark-colored animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. Okay, so this is a strange story that that obviously has no real scientific or biological backing or reasoning as to why this would work. One thought is that perhaps there was a belief at this time or or something like an old wives tale that that when animals saw their when these animals saw their reflection in the water that their own appearance would appear spotted or streaked and that that would then somehow make their own offspring to be a pot, to be a spotted or streaked something along those lines that somehow it has to do with the reflection that they see in the water and that has an impact on on their offspring but again there's there's no scientific reasoning for what happens here, and yet it works. And, and again, it, this is another situation where we have this direct comparison that's made. The weak animals went to Laban, the strong ones to Jacob. Direct comparisons like this are a recurring th- theme throughout this whole account of Jacob's story, throughout the whole account of his family. We see people compared to each other, and, and, and this is just another example of that. And one more thought on this story that I think is worth noting is that for what it's worth, even Jacob later acknowledges that it was God who provided for the birth of these spotted animals, not so much the branches themselves, that this is something that Jacob kind of goes through in order to bring this about. But Jacob even acknowledges that it's God who who makes this happen and who provides for this. And so it's this wild story that ends up working out for Jacob and ends up creating quite a bit of wealth for him because he ends up with these numerous flocks who who happen to be stronger than than the flocks that, that Laban ends up with. And this apparently happens over an extended period of time so that Jacob's able to, to kind of build up some possessions and flocks for himself. And, and it happens to such an extent that it, it breeds jealousy, breeds more jealousy in this family, this time stemming from Laban's sons. So Laban's sons 
are now jealous of Jacob and the flocks that he is accumulating because they think that he's capitalizing off of their father's wealth and and taking advantage of, of their dad and his flocks. And it gets to the point that Jacob even notices that Laban's attitude toward him changed. So this is going to cause problems. And finally, at this point, God comes to Jacob and says, okay, look, man, it's time for you to go. You've, you've got to get out of here. It's time for you to go home. And at that point, God reiterates this promise that he made to Jacob. If you remember back to when God appears to Jacob in, in the dream before Jacob gets to Haran, that, that God makes a promise there, I will be with you. And so God reiterates that promise here. He says, you need to go. You need to go back to the family of, of, your, of your people. You need to go back to the land of your family, and I will be with you as you go. So Jacob hears that, and he then gathers both of his wives. They go out for a meeting in, in the field between just the three of them in what seems to be really the only moment of unity between the three individuals. And they all three agree, all right, yeah, it's time to go. We, we got to get out of here. It's, it's time. But of course, as is probably not surprising to anyone who's kept up with the story up to this point, they can't leave without a little more deception on the way out. And so before leaving, Rachel steals her father's household gods. And there are perhaps several reasons for her doing that, several motivating several potential motivating factors, and we're not going to get into all that today, but for whatever reason, she steals these, these household figurines or, or gods or whatever they, they looked like and, and takes them with her, steals them from her dad, takes them with her. And Jacob also deceives Laban by fleeing and not telling Laban that he was, quote unquote, running away. That's the language that is used in the text, that he's fleeing, that he's being deceptive in doing so, and that he's running away. And so once Laban then figures that out, he chases after them, catches up to Jacob and, and says, why are you doing this to me? Why, why have you deceived me? I didn't even get to say goodbye to any of my family and, and bless them on the way out. And then he says, on top of all that, you, you stole my gods as you were leaving. And so this, I think, is the point where we, we finally see that, we finally begin to see that Jacob has, has kind of had enough of Laban. I almost see it as kind of like a turning point for Jacob, especially in what we're going to see in just a minute with his response to Laban in, in just a little bit. But, but he seems to kind of be tired of Laban. He's tired of putting up with him. He's tired of, of his accusations and his deception. And Jacob knows nothing about the gods that have been stolen. And so he tells Laban, look, you can search everywhere in my camp and you're not going to find these gods. Because again, he doesn't know that Rachel has done this. And so he's like, you can search everywhere you want. They're not here. So Laban does just that. He searches through everything and due to some more deceptive activity on the part of Rachel, he doesn't find them. And so, like I said, all of that then leads to what I kind of see as this boiling point moment for Jacob. So this is in Genesis 31, picking up in verse 36, because we're told there that Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. And 
you know, I've mentioned before in, mo- in, in sermons that I kind of picture some of these scenes as like scenes in, in movies. And, and this is almost to me that scene in the movie where you've got this character who, I mean, for years, Jacob has kind of been stepped on. He's, you know, he's been deceived by Laban several times. And, and now finally we see Jacob sort of standing up for himself and in like you know in the words of the text he's taking Laban to task so here's what he says he says what is my crime how have i wronged you that you hunt me down now that you have searched through all my goods what have you found that belongs to your household put it here in front of your relatives and mine and let them judge between the two of us i have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. And you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night, and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for the 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands. And last night he rebuked you. So Jacob, Jacob, for most of the 20 years that he has spent with with Laban, comes across, I think, mostly as pretty passive and almost, almost like a puppet for other people's plots and schemes. And and as he says here, he's worked, he's done nothing but but what Laban has asked of him by, by all accounts. And, but really, but besides the one incident with the goats, the, the picture that we've had of him is one of, of pretty much someone who has just gone along with what, whatever those around him have, whatever situation those around him have kind of put him in. You know, Laban has deceived him several times. His wives basically barter for his services in bed over the course of kind of their, their, uh, rivalry and, and competitive relationship. And Jacob just kind of goes along with everything. E- even at the beginning of this account that we're looking at today, if you remember, you know, he feels as if he has to ask Laban if he can leave. But now, now Jacob speaks up and he takes Laban to task. And it seems to have its desired impact on Laban because Laban then almost seems to back down. He kind of has this one more reminder of, hey, these are, these are my daughters, these are my grandkids. And he, almost as if to kind of stick it to Jacob, perhaps one more time, he throws that in there. But then he does suggest that the two of them make a covenant together, which they do. And after they have their covenant ceremony, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then he left and returned home. And so it's this 
this response, this, this taking to task of Laban, this monologue of Jacob that I think gives us this access to Jacob's character that I referenced at the, at the beginning that I don't think we've, we've really been able to fully see or been given that full a picture of up to this point in the story. And I think it's our first in-depth look into the, the integrity and the honesty of Jacob that does seem to be at, at the core kind of of who he is as a person. Because here's this man who is known for his deceptive behavior. But, but in this soliloquy, he begins laying out all the ways that he has gone above and beyond to act with integrity and honesty when dealing with Laban's flocks, even taking losses for himself that he could have made Laban cover, but, but he has taken them on himself and done this all, presumably, you know, out in fields where it, I'm sure a lot of times he was by himself, where it would have been easy to, to engage in some more deceptive activity. But Jacob has been striving toward integrity and honesty and hard work and diligent work ethic and all of those things that we would kind of want someone to know us for. That's who Jacob has been trying to be for the last two decades. And finally, he's just kind of tired of it and tired of Laban's deception and tired of putting up with it. And so he lays it all bare and says, this is who I've been for the last 20 years and you know it. And so in Jacob, I think we are reminded that we are all, we are all individually more than and better than our worst qualities, our, our worst mistakes, our poorest choices, whatever, whatever kind of example you want to, to put in there, at our core, at the essence of who we are. We, we are more than those things. We are better than those things. And we are capable of, of more than those things. You know, a couple of weeks ago in our podcast, I referenced that in a conversation that I had with, with Terry, a reference that in Jewish teachings, Jacob is, is remembered as someone who embodies harmony and truth. And I think the complete picture that we have of, of Jacob's life is a reminder that that we will not always act in accordance with the best versions of ourselves. As, as one Jewish writer put it, Jacob is remembered for his ability to integrate the diverse traits of his soul into a cohesive whole. And I think that's such a great picture for, for life and for the complexities of life and for the, the variances that we have in our own decision-making, our own choices, our own actions, our own words, that, that we're just presented with so many difficult circumstances. We're, we're presented with so many uh, just opportunities to, <laughs> to, to act in, in, in ways that are keeping with kind of the deep core and, and essence of who we are or to act or to give in to temptation or to fleshly desires or, or whatever it is to, to utilize some of our, 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 you know, we, we say things like sometimes our greatest strengths are our greatest weaknesses. And I think we see that sometimes with Jacob, sometimes maybe his, 
his smarts come across as, as deceptiveness or can, can play themselves out that way. And, and as we struggle to kind of figure out how to make our way in this world, there are going to be times where we don't always choose the right thing. And, and so Jacob then becomes a reminder to not be defined by our worst mistakes, by our brokenness, by our sinful behavior, but, but to learn from those things and to grow through them and beyond them so that we can fully embody God's will and direction for our lives. And it makes me think of, of one of our family's favorite Disney movies, which is called Zootopia. Most things make me think of Disney movies, and this is no, this is no exception. Um, but Zootopia is a great is a great movie. Whether or not you have kids, has a great message. Has a lot about kind of the ways that we process things as people, and just all kinds of things. But but one of the main characters in the movie is a fox, and in similar fashion, I think to Jacob, this fox whose name is Nick. Uh, Nick is seen as someone who is cunning to the point of being deceptive. And, and so because, because of that, and, and because of this, this stereotype that exists around foxes in, in this world, that foxes are, are only deceptive and, and that's how they're kind of known, because of that, we learn in the movie that at some point in his life, Nick just decides that if the world is only going to see him as a sly fox, he might as well just be a sly fox. That, that if that's all anyone is ever going to see him as, he might as well live that reality. And, and you know, I think similarly, Jacob could have decided that if the world was only going to see him as a sly fox, if the world was only going to see him as someone who was deceptive in nature, then he could have always been only deceptive in nature. But instead, we learn here that even when he's out alone with the flocks, Jacob is striving for integrity and honesty. And so may we then also not be held back by stereotypes or what we might perceive as as negative opinions held by others about ourselves and instead live boldly into God's will for our lives. And may we remember that living that way doesn't mean we will always make the best decisions. Existing in the complexities of this world pretty much assures, in fact, that we won't. But we can learn and we can progress. And and taking example from Jacob, we can integrate the diverse traits of our souls into a cohesive whole. And may that cohesive whole be one that points toward the love, the grace, the truth, and the mercy of God, and point toward the the complete picture of who we are called to be in light of those things. So that's a look at, at what happens between the sermons, if you will, from last Sunday and this coming Sunday, and, and a look into, I think, kind of a little bit of a deeper picture of Jacob's character, his integrity, and his honesty. I hope that that story brings you some encouragement or, or some insight into God's word today. And, and may, may God's spirit continue to, to direct each of us and, and enlighten each of us as we strive to, to be 
salt and light in the world to reflect God's love and to be his, his ministers of reconciliation as we go about our daily lives. Thank you.